Would you join me in thanking our worship team for an amazing time of worship they let us in this morning? It is good to be here, uh, down from Chicago, where I'm a professor at Wheaton College. Whenever you say you're a professor, it's uh, people have lower expectations for the sermon, so I just wanted to share that up front. Um, but it's so good to be here and to be with you and to share today. Uh, thanks to your pastor and friend of many years. Appreciate, appreciate you, Dahani, and good to see you, Angie, as well, and, and the whole team here. And um, I, John chapter 20 is going to be our text. If you'd like to follow along, I'm going to consistently refer back to the text, and, and I'm going to talk a lot about the context. The text and the context are going to set our agenda for today, because we live in a time unlike uh, for most of us have experienced in our lifetime. The tumult and the turbulence that we have been walking through in the last two years is unlike anything that we have experienced. Now, of course, even saying those things, people have opinions. Well, it shouldn't have been this, and it shouldn't have been that, or we made a bigger deal of this, and we made, should have made a bigger deal about that. But I think we all can agree that the last two years have, have shaken a lot of what we have in relationships, in the national conversation, in churches, and more. We're not living in normal times. And if you have the feeling uh, that you feel the weightiness of the moment, is it just you? It's not just you. It's a unique time of turbulence and tumult. It's a complicated time. It's a challenging time. There's no better time to look back to the gospel in one of the gospels to see what the Lord has for us. So I'm going to read the passage here, and uh, it says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray you'd open our hearts to your word today, that in the midst of the turbulence and the tumult, we might see Christ, we might see the Spirit at work, we might be obedient to the Father's call. So Father, guide us as we look to your word and speak to your people through your word today. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. And an amen. So we're in a unique time of, of, of tumult and turbulence, and increasingly people are recognizing this is probably a once-in-a-generational cultural turbulence. People begin to write that it seems that every 60 years there comes a time when people in the West, in you know, not just the U.S., but the U.S. included, sort of look around and say, uh, something's not the way it should be, or, or maybe they're saying something needs to be more of this or less of that, and uh, I've been calling it a cultural convulsion. Uh, and it's not, it's not actually about a pandemic, though I recognize that, that the timing and the acceleration of these things probably came around. It's a, it's a breakdown of culture in many ways. It's a seismic shift, and we all sort of feel it. Some of us have opportunity and hope that this will uh, further conversations that are important for us to have. Some of us are concerned about where they might go or what might happen next. But I want to remind you today and throughout the message that the moment we're in does not pause the mission we are on. Now, it might pause for a time and for a season. The last few weeks, we haven't met in person here at Blueprint. Uh, so it might pause things like that. We don't, we don't know what the future holds. I, I, we don't know what the future holds for the pandemic. I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor. Well, I am, I am a doctor, but my kids say I'm the kind of doctor that doesn't actually help anybody. And so, um, so, so I have a doctorate in missiology. Partly helps us understand the cultural moment that we're in. So I want to look at four things today, th walking through this text, that my hope and will be an encouragement to you to remember that the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. So number one, I want to start here, is, uh, is fear is always the opposite of faith. 
Fear is always the opposite of faith. Let's look back at the text, right? It says, on the evening of that day. Well, what day? If you're in John chapter 20, if you look right at the beginning and your Bible has little headings like my Bible has, at the beginning of chapter 20, it says the resurrection. So it's that day. So it's Sunday of the resurrection. So on the evening of that day, so it's Sunday night, the first day of the week, in case you didn't get that it was Sunday, first day of the week being a Sunday in the traditional calendar, the doors being locked. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear, they were concerned that the Jewish leaders might arrest them. Now, now let's not miss what has happened. Again, if you have your Bible open, you can see in John chapter 20 that Jesus has already appeared to Mary Magdalene in verse 11. Mary Magdalene comes back to the disciples. They appear not to believe her, or maybe they don't fully understand, because then we get to verse 19, and fear is the, the driving characteristic that the gospel writer records for us. It says, the door's being locked. Now, don't miss that. The door's being locked is not an uncommon thing. I lock my doors at night. Maybe you lock your doors at night. Right, so, but here, their doors are being locked, and John, the gospel writer, wants to let us know the motives and the motivations for the reasons people do things. So it's not just that they are locking their doors. They're locking their doors because they're afraid. Now, why in the world would they be afraid if they just got word that their Savior and Messiah, who was dead on Friday, is not so much dead on Sunday? Maybe they didn't believe. Maybe they were unsure, but it says their doors were locked in fear. Maybe they didn't fully believe Jesus was back. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe they, they weren't sure what the future held, but here's the reality is the writer, the gospel writer here, his name's John, the gospel writer here is making sure that we understand that the response to the moment they are in is fear. And I would say to you that 2,000 years later, fear is a driving moment, a driving characteristic of our current situation. Now, don't misunderstand. You might say, well, Ed, you're talking about, are people afraid of the pandemic? Are they afraid of COVID? And then as soon as I say that, some of you will have different opinions about that. Some of you, well, they shouldn't be, and I've got an opinion on that. There's like, well, they should be, and this is why. And I just need you to say at the beginning, just everybody calm down. Because the reality is, fear is a driving part of our cultural moment today. It's a fear of, are people over-responding to the pandemic? Some people are afraid we'll lose our liberties. Uh, for other people, it's a, it's a fear of, are we having the right conversation? Are we addressing issues of injustice and systemic brokenness? Uh, others are like, well, are we, are we doing this in a way that will have bad ramifications? And, and fear is a driving characteristic of our current moment. And fear is behind a lot of the, the outrage. I'll, I'll give you an example. I wrote a book, last book I, I wrote, um, it's called Christians in the Age of Outrage. And my publisher came to me in 2016 and said, you know, everybody's really outraged. You should write a book on how Christians should deal with the outrage of the moment. And I, and I said, well, you know, it's 2016, there's a big election, everyone's mad. I mean, I could write that, but it'll take me a year to write the book. Um, it, I don't write books as fast as Dahadi does. It'll take me a year to write the book. He just, he just left, wrote one, and came back is what he just did, in case you were wondering. I said, it'll take me a year to write the book, and then I will, then it takes a year to get it edited. And so basically, if I write a book, start writing a book in 2016 at their suggestion. So I said, but it's 2016, people are all upset because of 2016. Are people really still going to be outraged in 2018? And it appears yes. Now, that doesn't mean that 
There aren't things for us to be deeply concerned about. There aren't things. But our response in the midst of this is too often driven by fear. And, and fear is always the opposite of faith. Now, don't miss this, because fears win elections, right? This is, they, I mean, people know, everyone hates negative ads. And the only problem is they work because they make people afraid, and it motivates people, right? People are afraid today. Some people are afraid about their future. Some people are afraid for their kids. Some people are afraid for their church. Some people are afraid of being seen as being afraid. Some people are afraid of being controlled, and that fear drives them. But all of these cases, fear is always the opposite of faith. And Jesus has not yet appeared, so the disciples are now hiding in fear. So John, the gospel writer, who always gives us the specific details to help us understand, says on the beginning of that day, yes, resurrection day, the first day of the week, it's Sunday night, the doors were locked because they were in fear. And 2,000 years later, I think fear is a reality in our culture, and even people are afraid of us being afraid are afraid. So number one, fear is always the opposite of faith. But number two is key to this as well. Number two is peace is always the Christian response. Peace is always the Christian response. Remember, the moment we're in does not pause the mission we are on. So now something is about to happen. Now remember the gospel writer John. Now John is writing this gospel. A gospel is written by someone, John, about someone, Jesus, to someone. And this is to believers And so he wants us to get the details. So in the next part of the verse, you can look in your Bible or on the screen, it says, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, remind you, there's some pretty significant things going on even here because the doors are locked. So Jesus, now bodily resurrected, somehow is able to appear behind the locked doors. It's a supernatural reality of work. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Would you say those four words with me out loud? Let's do it together. Peace be with you. One more time. Peace be with you. So Jesus, when seeing them afraid, brings them a message that says, peace be with you. Now that's a common greeting, but he doesn't just say it once. We'll see in a minute that he says it twice. John is a recorder of details. And here's the reality, right? In 2,000 years later, I wish I could say to you that the response of God's people in the midst of time of turbulence and tumults has to live a life of peace, but it hasn't been. Matter of fact, some of the divisions and fear in the culture has seeped into churches all across the country. People are saying, now we're not sure, can we, can we, can we walk together? Can we, can we go on this journey together? And, and it's, it's, it's been heartbreaking to see. We did a survey um, not that long ago about people who had left churches and gone to another church. And just to give you one example, the pastors in the survey said 30% of the new people who came to their church came because they disagreed with their last church's handling of COVID. So people are shifting themselves around into different churches over issues. And it's fascinating because sometimes people who had been for decades, I I was speaking out at a church um, in California that a pastor friend of mine serves and he planted that they planted the church 40 years ago came large church and I was over there filling in because he wasn't feeling well so I was filling in and and they're still California's COVID restrictions tend to be a little more severe than a lot of other places and um so I asked um yeah I was with he and his wife and I said 
So what percentage of people do you think are coming back? That's what a lot of people are asking right now in churches. And it's different in different places. I'm the interim pastor of a church in New York City right now, and we have about 40, 50% of our people have returned. Uh, a lot of people moved out of the city uh, after uh, the, in the midst of the pandemic. What they said is we think probably maybe 20% or more of our church have actually left over issues unrelated to the gospel or relocating because of things we stood up on and spoke up on about issues of, of justice, about how we maybe handle the pandemic. And, 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 what he, and I could hear her voice. I could hear in her voice and said, and these are people we've pastored for decades. See, part of the challenge right now is, is that instead of pulling together in the midst of turbulent and tumultuous time, a lot of Christians in North America have pulled apart. Now, now, what would the response be if we were walking in that peace that passes all understanding? Let's look at it. It's Philippians 4, 7 reminds us that. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So in other words, if we were walking the Jesus way in the midst of the tumult and turbulence, maybe our social media wouldn't look so angry all the time. See, here's part of the challenge, though. See, so many people, when it comes to the broader cultural divisions, they're being discipled not by their church. They're being discipled by their cable news choices. They're being spiritually shaped by their social media. And it's being reflected in their own. And people say to me, well, Ed, I just got to give my opinion. I'm just, I'm just trying to be frank. And I would say, if, if your name's not Frank, you might want to stop. And put that under the lordship of Jesus Christ, just like every area of your life should be marked by peace. Again, peace is not the absence of problems, but the presence of a person. Jesus, in Ephesians 2, 4, it says he is our peace. Jesus himself, earlier in the gospel of John, puts it this way, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So this is the promise. So when he shows up behind closed doors, as the gospel writer describes, and he says, peace be with you, not once but twice, we'll see in a moment, that shouldn't surprise us because literally he says, I leave peace with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see the contrast? They were afraid. Now here's the thing. Peace is not the absence of hard conversations. Peace is not the absence of disagreement. Peace is not, not ignoring things that need to be dealt with, but it, it's how we approach the challenging, tumult, and turbulent moment that we're in. So number one on our outline is fear is always the opposite of faith. Number two is peace is always the Christian response. And remember, the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. Let's look at number three. The cross is always our hope and motivation. By now, I think you probably have picked up on that I really love how John, the gospel writer here, includes details to help us understand the situation and what's going on. Goes on to here, from here, and we get to the second part of the verse, John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 20. It says, when he had said this, he had said, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So let's leave those two sentences right on the screen for just a moment. And if you'll notice, there's two sentences here. And the first sentence is actually unnecessary, from my view, towards the second sentence. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I mean, of course they are. They saw him die, some of them. 
they, his death had shaken their community. They were hidden behind closed doors because of the fear of the consequences of his death. So what then is the purpose of the sentence before? I think John is again, the gospel writer, is reminding us of what has taken place and why this resurrection is so beautiful and so significant. It says this, it says, when he had said this, when Jesus had said, peace be unto you, he showed them his hands and his side, pointing us back to the resurrection, back to the cross. So the resurrection without the crucifixion doesn't have the same meaning And John is pointing us to that reality. He showed them his hands and his side. His hands where the nails pierced. His side where the spear pierced. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. You see, the cross is always our hope and motivation. And so even today, 2,000 years later, we want to work to make things right. We want to work towards justice. We want, to work, we want to work towards addressing issues that need to be addressed in society. When we do so, as people change by the power of the cross, we do so differently than the world would do those things. We do those things because Jesus has changed us. He's made us citizens of his kingdom. We literally pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then we work to make the world more like Jesus would want it to be until he returns and makes all things right. But even as we were singing, we were singing songs that kept taking us back to the beautiful reality that Jesus is indeed more powerful than the moment. And here's what I think we have to recognize. No matter what happens, we can trust Jesus. You see, I don't know, again, what the future holds. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I, I work at a nonprofit organization. That's a really bad preacher joke there. You're going to make fun of that later, aren't you, Dottie? But, but here's the reality. I mean, I, do you remember last summer when COVID was over? It was so awesome that week. You remember that? July 7th through 11th. Oh, I love that week. And I don't know, and I, I mean, I got guesses, we all got guesses, here's what we know, whether there's another variant, I hope there are no more letters in the Greek alphabet that we need to talk about, and, but whether it happens or not, Jesus has still died on the cross, and God rose him from the dead in the third day, and he's still the victor. He's still king. And, 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 and whether we have to go through years more of this cultural tumult and turbulence, to talk through hard issues, to struggle together, whether churches have to struggle through these things together, these all could be true, but Jesus has still died on the cross for my sin and in my place, and God raised him from the dead on the third day. I can walk in that truth and that victory even in the midst of a culturally difficult time. Matter of fact, that probably is what we need to walk through that culturally difficult time. Romans 14.8 is a beautiful reminder of that. It says this, if we live, we live to the Lord. Interesting, just the matter of factness here in this Bible verse. It says, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. I mean, just such a matter of factness. Why would there be such a matter of factness? So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. You see, the moment we're in is not a surprise to the Lord. And might I also add that it's not the first time Christians have walked through very culturally divided times. We can look back to the 60s. Increasingly, a consensus is developing, I think, 
that it seems like these every 60 years we go through these cultural tumults. And some people follow the Lord through them, stand up for what's right, work for change, do so together, and the gospel is advanced and people see the lives of Christians are making a difference. We saw it in the 60s. We saw it in the late 1800s. But here's the reality. It is easy for us to be shaped by the world rather than to be shaped by the resurrection and the crucifixion that preceded it. We go on mission because of the cross, and the moment we're in does not pause the mission. We are on fourth and finally. You know what it means when a guest speaker says finally, don't you? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Fourth and finally. We always go because Jesus came to us. The moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. And John chapter 20, verse 21, is a beautiful reminder of that. It says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Then he says this, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I love the hearing the mission of Blueprint Church. Uh, talking to pastor and picked me up this morning, took me to McDonald's for a fancy breakfast. Appreciate that, man. It was really, it was really nice. I appreciate that. Only the best for the guest. Um, he's like, you told me to take, I did tell you to take me. That's where I, I, I do, I do, I do. I just wanted to do that, have a little fun at your expense. Is that all right? Is that all right? Angie's for it. She's like, do more, do more of that. Um, but to hear and drive around and love the mission that Jesus has sent you on. And it's interesting because that mission is actually joining Jesus on his mission. Listen to the verse again. It says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Can I tell you, I actually haven't seen this PowerPoint before, and I've actually never seen a PowerPoint where there's someone reading the Bible on the PowerPoint, and I really like it. (laughs) This may be my new PowerPoint vibe, is someone actually reading the Bible when that's there. That's, That's pretty cool. Um, you've got a great team. I think you did that. I see you. You did that. That was well done. Yes, you did. That was awesome. That's awesome. What's your name? Ignatius. That's right. Great, great, great. What? You're getting okay. They're getting set. You want to, you just go ahead, just give a little applause for her. That's pretty great. She, yeah. She got that last night, and there's people in the PowerPoint, which is another level of awesome. Um, so, people join Jesus on his mission. Jesus says this, as the Father has sent me. So, so as the Father has sent me points us to something, so the Father must be sending Jesus. Well, here's what's fascinating about the Gospel of John. Forty times in the Gospel of John, John, the Gospel writer, has recorded Jesus saying he's sent in one way or another. The Father has sent me. I've been sent in the Father's name. The Father sent me for this. So 40 times. So Jesus, sent by the Father over and over again, has made the point And then at the end of the Gospel of John, some people actually say this is the high point. This moment is the high point of mission in the Gospel of John. At this moment, Jesus turns to his disciples behind closed doors afraid, reminds them of his resurrection, and says, Oh, you know those 40 times? You know those 40 references I made about God the Father sending me as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And 2,000 years later, those words echo in this room. And those watching us online, because Jesus has sent us on a mission. It's Boulevard, Stone Mountain, Old Fourth Ward, and beyond. 
So as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. It's actually in the Greek, it's aute. It means, uh, it means in the same manner, not for the same purpose. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins and in our place, but in the same manner, that's what we do. We go. So in the midst of a cultural tumult, we go. Now, here's some things I need you to know historically. Historically, in the midst of a cultural tumult, it's hard on everybody. Um, I, didn't, I didn't pick up on that early on. I was uh, early on in the pandemic. We, at the, we, I lead the uh, Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, and we pivoted quickly to serve churches and working 14, 15 hours a day. And my daughters, I have three daughters, which is so awesome. Um, they're so great. I have three daughters, and... Um, but man, their lives just got all topsy-turvy, just like you remember at the beginning of March 2020. Um, one, all our high school graduation activities canceled. The other was at college, but all her friends left, and she's, the college is there right by us, and so she's now no friend. And, all the, and I'm working 14 hours a day trying to help churches pivot and prepare. And, um, and in the midst of all that, there came a time a tragedy with a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, where I just realized that, you know, I, I don't have anything left to give. You see, in the midst of these challenging times, they come in waves, right? So they, and we don't still know, because individually, and again, even if we get through the pandemic, most observers talked about these kind of cultural convulsions can last four, five, six years. So we're going to need together, and as churches, reservoirs of resilience to walk through these challenging and hard times. And, and, and let's not leave people behind. People respond even different ways right now to the tumult and the turbulence that we're in. See, that means maybe going to the hard places with others. Listen to people. People are going to be mad sometimes. Get, get used to it. Get, get over it. Yet in the midst of all of this, this can be our time to show and share the love of Jesus, to say, here I am, Lord, send me. When Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Our response is now on the table. We can't really fix all the cultural turbulence. I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe you have more influence than I do. Because the confusion is everywhere. There's brokenness, there's injustice, there's struggle of how to address those things and how and, and, and what that means when we address those things. It's so complex right now. But we can come back to a simple truth that Jesus has sent us into the breach. Confusion, don't run from it. Right? In fact, about all kinds of things, right? There's, there's confusion about what's right and what's wrong. Don't, don't run from that. People need your Christ-honoring, well-informed voice. There's challenge of racial justice in our culture. Don't run from it. People need your Christ-honoring, well-informed voice. We gotta, in the midst of the tumult and the turbulence, rush toward the crisis. Because as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And I really want to encourage you. I have Lots more I could say about these issues. I want you to not hear my message to say today and say, well, he didn't mention this, this, and this, and this. Um, they only gave me 35 minutes, which I think personally is a tragedy. <laughs> so if you said, I wish he would have said this, I want you to think that was the 36th minute. <laughs> and blame the people in the back. So my grandfather was a fireman. They'd say firefighter today. He didn't say firefighter. 
Uh, he was a fireman. He actually was a fire battalion chief. He was rose up through the ranks of the fire department, and he was the fire battalion chief for Lower Manhattan in New York City. Um, he, he had already died by the time 9-11 happened, but that house that took so many fatalities was one of the houses that he would oversee as a fire battalion chief. He would uh, tell me stories. He would call me uh, Eddie. They called me Eddie when I was little, and you may not. Um, <laughs> it's a hottie. You may not. Uh, so... Um, so I'd go over and I'd mow, the, I'd mow his lawn and he'd sit there and my grandmother would bring some lemonade and my grandpa would tell me stories of being a fireman and they were, he was my hero. I mean, he'd rush into buildings and, and save people and I, I remember a phrase that he would say that really struck, stu- stuck with me. Later on, the fire department would be heroes. Like after 9-11, people would wear hats that said fire department in New York, but it wasn't like that when he was there. Uh, and, but later it would become heroic. But here's why... For me, I saw the heroism, because what he said over and over again was, yeah, whenever there's a fire, we're the ones running towards the fire, and everyone else runs away. And I thought, later I thought, that's, that's actually what Christians are supposed to be. When there's a brokenness, when there's a breach, when there's something in need of repair, when the gospel is not yet known and the kingdom's work is not yet seen, that we as Christians go to that place. When everyone else is running away, yelling, or maybe angry, we run toward with the peace of Christ that passes all understanding. And then the world looks at that and say, who are these people? What's up with these people that they actually are entering into a turbulent and tumultuous time, insisting on that which is right, good, and just, and doing so with the peace of Christ evidenced in their hearts? They rush towards the crisis. At the beginning of the pandemic, I wrote a story in, uh, in USA Today. Uh, an article in USA Today. I, I wrote columns for them at times. And what was, the title was brilliant at the time. And then later it didn't become so brilliant. Uh, the title was, I was talking about how we're going to find out who Christians really are, what they're really like. Because, and I, I think this was like April and, you know, it was in the midst of the national shutdown. Remember two weeks to stop the spread? I missed that. Um, and it was all just, everything seemed on fire, and people were, and it was like, wow. And so, so I wrote an article saying, I believe Christians are going to stand up, stand out, stand in the gap, and show and share the love of Jesus. Can I say, can I say Boulevard? The Blueprint did that. Blueprint showed and shared the love of Jesus. This facility and this community became a place where many were ministered to in the midst of some of the darkest and challenging times in their lives. So I wrote the article. The unfortunate title was, you can see why I would make this title, I thought it was clever. I said, the masks are about to come down. Well, masks became a thing later. At the time, they weren't such a thing. But let me, if I could, just share a little bit of my heart, because I still believe it two years later. I said, stepping back for a moment, it's worth asking why the Christian church has and is now again called to live in such a sacrificial way? The answer is in part the description of Christians as citizens of heaven, Philippians 3.20. That is our hope is not in this life, but in the one to come. I love being able to share scripture and the gospel in a national secular publication. 
I said, while everyone is good at talking in times of peace, moments of crisis define who we truly are and what we truly believe. They reveal us. The masks come down. In one famous example, the church historian Eusebius describes a 4th century epidemic that swept through the Roman Empire. Far from fleeing the cities or shutting off their homes from others, Eusebius records that, quote, all day long Christians, and he goes on to some of the things the Christians did, but here's how it ends. As a result, Eusebius concludes, very famous church historian of centuries ago, that the Christians, quote, deeds were on everyone's lips, and they glorified the God of the Christian. I think ultimately that's what I want to point us to, right? When the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on, then the Christian's deeds, what we do, how we show and share the love of Jesus and showing the kingdom work and sharing the good news of the gospel, the Christian's, quote, deeds were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians. Now, I want you to go back with me. John 20, 21, just full disclosure, is my favorite verse in the entire Bible. It, it is. And... Um, so John 20, 21 says, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. I have a favorite verse in the Old Testament that is like unto it. It is found in, well, let me give a little introduction, then I'll share it. So in Isaiah chapter 6, something very substantive has happened. A king has died. Now, I know that when we think of the monarch dying, it's uh, you know, the Queen of England, or the King of England, or whatever it may be, um, that makes global news, but it's not existential to us. It's not, it's something to watch some Americans are into, royalty of different countries and contexts. Um, but centuries ago, when a king died, it could mean the end of the kingdom, because the king represented the kingdom, and he may have made a treaty with a nation that upon his death, it was no longer valid. Um, someone else could come to power who was evil and wicked and kill substantial numbers of people. So when Isaiah chapter 6 starts, it says, in the year King Uzziah died, and if you're a Bible reader, maybe you're reading through the Bible each year, and right now you're into the book of Leviticus, if you're going through the Bible, I just want you to know, hang in there. Just keep reading, keep reading. Um, but if you get to Isaiah 6, and it says, in the year King Uzziah died, you'd be like, oh, okay, so some figure that I don't know a lot about died. But that sentence would strike terror in the hearts of people. It would be like a tumultuous time, multiple times more tumultuous than we're experiencing right now. So in the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah goes on to write, I saw the Lord, and he gives this vision, talks about seeing him in his holy temple, and there's these angels, and there's wings, there's this coal to his lips of purification, there's all this sort of stuff that goes on. We don't have too much time to unpack all of it, but it's just an amazing thing. He sees the Lord sitting on his throne, and then Isaiah 6, 8 is before us. Here's what it says. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? I love the plural, revealing God in all his majesty. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And so Isaiah then says, I said, he said, here I am, send me. So in the midst of a very tumultuous time, God's people stand up, stand out, stand in the gap, and they say, here I am, send me. We go with the Lord on mission, and the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. So here we are, centuries later. And even as I talked through some of these things, even as I mentioned some of these things, some of you felt a part of you saying, wait, I, I... Let's, let's take just a moment. Not everything can be said in the 35-minute sermon. 
But let me say to you that the response of God's people in a time of turbulence and tumult should be to look to Jesus. And here's the picture. Fear is always the opposite of faith. We don't need to fear this moment. We need to walk in faith. Peace is always the Christian response. Our response to the cultural turbulence should be to be people anchored well in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, standing on the rock that is Jesus in full confidence that our Father is not surprised by the moment we're in. The cross is always our hope and motivation. Coming back over and over again. If, if Jesus died on the cross for your sin and in your place, we can walk through this and we can do it together. And finally, we always go because Jesus came to us. I'm thankful for what God is doing in and through Blueprint Church. I have prayed for you before I was here. I have, uh, I've actually written about your church in a few places. And I'm thankful for how God's at work here. But this is a time of challenge in our culture. May God's people respond as God's people have done in the past and say, here I am, send me. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.